Welcome to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Your hosts are Jenny Gregorsik, managing partner of Apron Food PR, and Jeff Hahn, author, speaker, facilitator, and Apron's head of reputation strategy. Welcome to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn, and with me today is my colleague, Jenny Gregorsik. Jenny, welcome. Good to see you. You too. You too. I feel like I'm always saying good to see you lately. I... Um, our listeners might think we live in different parts of the country, but the fact <laughs> is we work 50 feet away from each other, but we're always flung in different directions. I've been on the road, Miami Beach, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis, plus a few trips up and down I-35, and you've been on the highway as well. It's true. I think we've both been burning up the road, and it's great to see you too. You know, our team was in Guadalajara just a few weeks ago. Uh, today we've got folks in... Gosh, New York, Atlanta, even one in Florence, Italy. Florence, Italy, that must be about food. It is. It is. It's uh, not official client business, but we'll call it <laughs> okay. we'll call it an R&D trip. Yeah, my favorite kind of R&D, rip off and duplicate. <laughs> but um, right, that's our friend Mindy, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. She's over there. Well, I hope she has a great trip and um, I'm thinking that if she is able to bring us some stuff back, some good food, it'll be to our benefit. It'll fit right into a future podcast for ourselves. Sure. Well, Mindy's on a special trip, and today's podcast is a special trip because it's time for your super secret recall of the month program. That's right, it is. Now, I'll set it up just with a, with a few components to the conversation. First, We do recall of the month because recalls are a thing in the food business. Our quick calculation of government websites show that in the U.S. we average about one recall every day. That's the 2017 and 2018 numbers combined. And this is about the time where you typically remind me that in the U.S. we have the safest food supply in the world. But look, it's still a thing, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to be looking back at March... And so it's worth asking, are we on pace with that with that recall, you know, one a day? You know, that's a that's a great question, Jeff. And we actually did the math on this. And in fact, for the month of March, we're behind the average. We've had 90 days in the first quarter of 2019, but just 60 recalls, interestingly enough. Oh, that seems like very good news. But but recall of the month is not good news for one unlucky contestant today because you have picked them out of the recalls for March to throw some significant spotlight onto them. That's right, that's right. And there's a lot of suspense and waiting to find out who's gonna be that lucky brand today. But you know, the FDA did have 19 recalls in the month of March, so um, really on pace with what we've seen throughout the year. And uh, I think I've picked one of them that's gonna get some extra special love from us on the show today. Oh, uh, your kind of love is not the kind of love that these brands want. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but they are. there is a, a quote-unquote winner. And last month you picked one. It was on a delivery service food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, the, the reason that was interesting, I think, is because you always find something that isn't just about the product itself, but also a trend. And the category's growth was something that you added 
color commentary too. Yeah, delivery in the food space and the the convenience options that are popping up for consumers are really fascinating to watch. And looking at the food safety challenges that that poses is something interesting for us to consider. And I think that you'll find with uh, this month's recall of the month, there, there's a another really interesting trend that's tied to this month's recall, and the product that was recalled fits right into some great, great conversation we're having in the food space. Oh, okay, very exciting. Well, let's uh, talk about the trend then. Okay, first, before I, of course, reveal the the recall of the month, let's set some context first. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we have been going to see a lot of our clients and delivering our first half of the year, what we call food forecast to our clients. This is, uh, gosh, about a two and a half hour briefing. Yeah, it's Um, about 80 slides. Yeah, 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 it's dense, that's for sure, uh, that covers all kinds of food and consumer trends. And one of the interesting things that we included in this most recent edition of the food forecast was um, some study findings from quite a few different sources. Uh, One of the biggest is the firm Edelman. Um, We've also got data from Georgetown University, a great presentation by uh, our friends up at Huge that they delivered at South by Southwest. Um, And it's all about the rise of what's being called belief-driven buyers. We had uh, uh, several of our team members at South by, they came back with a bunch of examples of consumer, um, I guess you'd call it experiential engagement, but this notion of belief-driven buyers is different. Uh, it's still, though, arising, emerging out of the consumer space. Yep, exactly. And, you know, we could do a whole whole other podcast on that experiential consumer engagement trend. We'll just have to find a, a recall that fits it, but perhaps for a, for a future episode. But really with this belief-driven buyer trend, it's, it's something cool to watch. And wanted to just start with a few data points here that are coming out of the research on this. First up, if you ask the question, do you choose, switch, avoid, or boycott a brand based on its stand on societal issues? A majority of consumers, in fact, 64% of them, say that they are a belief-driven buyer. What does that mean exactly? Well, I think it depends on the issue and on the brand, um, but they will change their buying behavior based on a brand's stand for something. And if they view themselves as having a strongly held belief on that topic, the brands that they buy are those that are helping them express that belief. Brands have become really powerful forces in expressions of our beliefs. Second data point that's interesting is that when a brand supports their position on an issue versus staying silent, 51% of those belief-driven buyers will buy that brand exclusively and more often. Mm. So think about the loyalty that comes with these belief-driven brands. And then third, 23% of these belief-driven buyers will pay at least 25% more, a 25% premium for a brand that speaks out with a position that they agree with versus one that remains silent. That's huge. A 25% premium for a product solely because those brands' values align with that of the consumer. And last but not least, 48% of these belief-driven buyers will either advocate for or defend a brand and um, also to that extent criticize their competitors if it speaks, again, if it speaks out with a position they agree with versus a brand that remains silent. So really interesting for us to dig into that data and find out what it means for 
for brands from a consumer marketing standpoint and from a food safety standpoint too. Yeah, the belief-driven buyers phenomena has been growing over the years, but that's the first time it's really taken the majority position in several of these polls. And I think Edelman led the way with their trust barometer mm-hmm. this year in, in pointing this out. It's interesting. Um, there is some benefits to being a belief-driven brand, but there's also a downside too. If you're not in alignment, you can get into trouble with your primary or loyal audiences. So let's talk a little bit about these belief-driven buyers with some examples. I can think of a few just off the top of my head, and we can uh, bat these around. Tom's Shoes is a company that matches every pair of shoes, most people know. When you buy a pair of shoes, they match it uh, with by giving a pair of shoes to a child in need. That is a belief-driven brand. And the founder, Blake McCoskey, is the one who had that epiphany. I guess he was traveling in Argentina and decided this is what we're going to stand for. So that's the start of the feeling. I also think uh, Whole Foods fits in this category. Whole Foods has been on a decades-long mission to source and sell the highest quality natural and organic foods. And they really took the concept to scale, which created a host of competitors. And I think, um, I guess I was looking at that list not too long ago. Those that are now in the organic food space are even bigger than Whole Foods itself. Walmart, for example. Um, Costco, are you a Costco shopper? I'm not, but I know quite a few of them. Yeah, my next door neighbor loves Costco. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kroger, Target, Safeway. They're all bigger in the organic food sales now than Whole Foods itself, but Whole Foods invented the category. Well, not not to interrupt you, Jeff, but I'll make a quick prediction on that. I think Amazon is going to change that ranking. We're going to see Whole Foods climb back up to the top of that list via Amazon. There's a lot of movement in that space. You're right. And um, the day that organic food starts getting delivered to my doorstep via drone will be the day that I declare your prediction true. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly wouldn't bet against it for now, but... Um, Let me finish the category. Nike. Nike is a really good recent example. Mm -hmm. Um, They had this ad campaign that they came out with called Believe in Something. And many people remember that it featured Colin Kaepernick. They took a stand on idea. And that stand, as most news reports I read following the ad's debut... Uh, talked about how the stock had dropped, but man, it just skyrocketed after that. I think they had a $6 billion, if I read that right, valuation increase. In fact, um, we've even got a short clip of that ad that we'll listen to now. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. If you have only one hand, don't just watch football, play. And if you're a girl from Compton, Become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. That's the Nike ad. Very interesting how it played to the belief-driven buyer audience, but I'll throw REI and Patagonia in this as well. Those companies are competitors, but they joined up in late 2017. Do you remember the ad? I think it was entitled... The president stole your land. Mm -hmm. That went uh, into full-page newspaper ads. They had a website about it. It was when the Trump administration delisted Bears Ears and the Grand Staircase Escalante National Parks. 
I don't think they suffered one bit from taking that very aggressive stand against the administration. Certainly, I didn't see any news uh, backfiring against them. Completely agreed. And I think those are all awesome examples of how belief-driven buyers and these belief-driven brands are really changing the way we interact as consumers with the brands that we buy. And it's interesting to dig a little bit deeper into why this phenomenon is happening. And it's not it's not all that surprising. Uh, if you read data, there's a lot of data out there that shows people just don't trust the government. It's it's dysfunctional. And the, the trust level that used to be placed in public entities has now shifted into private brands. Um, and people also don't trust the media. We're in this era of fake news and people just can't seem to find the media credible. So um, these consumers are creating um, almost brand ecosystems around themselves to express themselves. Um, so again, once you know the trust that would have in the past historically been placed in public institutions is transferred to these brands now, giving them just phenomenal power. Um, and they're, these consumers are creating these um, brand-based institutions, if you will, to replace those other institutions that they can't believe in, like media and government. Yeah, it's kind of like um, people are forming a new identity around themselves with the brands that they keep close by. You remember when we went up to the gathering in Banff? We were talking about cult brands. That The gathering is a really terrific place to immerse yourself into that subject. Is it is it part of the same thing where people are culting to brands? Yeah, I think I think the elements are really similar. And just a quick plug for the gathering, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a terrific conference. So anybody that's looking for a really, really fantastic branding conference to go to, I certainly recommend it. But, you know, there is a lot of crossover between these belief-driven buyers and, and cult status with brands. I think cult status is a wonderful place for a brand to be if the fit is right for them. But it's also important for brands to be aware there's a, a really interesting trade-off that happens with achieving cult status. And I'll give you I'll give you a dr- dramatic reenactment oh, okay. here. This will be exciting. Yeah, yeah. So pretend I'm I'm playing the consumer here. Hey brand, I'm gonna buy your product or service and build you into my brand ecosystem. In return, I expect you to behave in a way that aligns with my principles and my beliefs. If you don't, I'm gonna give you all kinds of hell on social media until you perform better, or I'll just tell you adios. That expectation coming from a consumer is so high. So it's it's a double-edged sword here. Either as a brand, you stay silent and you become irrelevant very quickly, or you take a stand on an issue and consumers only expect more from you. Oh, it's kind of like when your kids, your mom said, hey, it's all in good fun until somebody gets poked in the eye. If you put your brand, if, if you are one of those brands that put themselves into the belief-driven category, it sounds like from your wonderful dramatic reenactments <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> that um, your buyers, your customers might poke you in the eye. Then it's not as fun. You're absolutely right. And, you know, for some of these brands, it's a lot more natural and easy to move into this space. Some of the brands you referenced earlier, Patagonia, REI, it's a natural move for them. They really do. They have kind of a, they've got this built-in constituency that really works for them. That's right. That's right. Other brands, not as lucky, and they end up getting dragged into it and forced to take a stand on an issue. You know, think about 
ABC and the Roseanne show when all of that was happening or in the food category, how Starbucks was thrust very quickly into the spotlight when they had the two African-American men that were escorted out of one of their stores. You might recall the CEO and some of their other executives were on a national morning show tour the very next day. And uh, it really made Starbucks recraft their policies on how people in their cafes were going to be treated. So uh, it forced them into the issue. uh, But I think that response was really proactive and they did a nice job there. Well, I guess it also says to a brand that or wakes a brand up that says, hey, many of our customers are belief driven. And they they gave them a ton of feedback. Right? That's right. The expectations are higher. Do you think um, let's take a good food brand uh, that is often in the news. Do you think Chipotle and its campaign for freshness, which is is sort of belief anchored, um, is working in the same space? Yeah, you know, I think Chipotle is another one of those brands. Um, they were on their way to being a different kind of purpose-driven brand when all of their food safety issues hit. And so they've been, I think, forced to build a little bit of a different kind of a purpose-driven brand. Uh, but they're trying and it's working. I mean, by all Wall Street indications, their recovery is is almost complete and their sales are strong. They have uh, episodes now, not not national um, issues, I think. And so they really have recovered nicely and mm-hmm. good for them. Um, okay, we've got this belief-driven buyer, or as you uh, mentioned, you can also call it purpose-driven mm-hmm. buying phenomena in play. And it shows up for brands. We've established that. Even beverage brands get brought into this in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah, they sure do. Do you uh, do you happen to recall seeing the? Uh, it's a video from Heineken called "Worlds Apart." Oh right, they put yes, they put people together in an uncomfortable situation. Right? Yes, you know we've got a clip of it. Let's take a listen. Feminism today is man hating. I would describe myself as a feminist, a hundred percent. Women do need to remember that we need you to have our children. Could I be friends with someone that says a woman's place is in the home? Um... All right, that's an interesting little soundbite, but what's in play here? You know, in this video, it's it's really interesting. Um, so they put people with opposite beliefs uh, and introduced them to each other, and then they gave them a series of tasks to build um, what becomes a bar to sit at, and then they're shown videos of one another talking about their beliefs. So, for example, um, one of them is uh, really strong on the feminist front, and the person she's paired up with thinks that a woman's place is in the home and that feminists are quacks. Um, so really um, a wide spectrum polar of opposites. polar opposites yeah. here. Yeah. And so then you see them getting to know each other, completing these tasks together. And then it's not until the end that they uh, really understand the beliefs of the other person that they've been working with. And it's embarrassing for them. They can't believe that they've been working on something for the last couple hours at this point with someone who has beliefs from them on big issues like climate change and transgender issues that are so polar opposite to them. But then the participants are given a choice. They, once they know this information, they can either leave 
or stay and talk about their differences over a cold beer, which is where Heineken comes in. Let's take a quick listen to, to how this video ends. I want to discuss. Beer. Yeah, beer and discuss. Cheers. At the end of the day, mate. About reaching out to people, you, yeah. Mate. And, you know, even if you wanted to convince people about your point, the productive thing to do would be to sit it's down engaged. and have It's engaged. I've been brought up in a way where everything's black and white, but life isn't black and white. Yeah, I'm just me. Yeah. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> I'll give you my mobile number, you give me yours, uh -huh. and we'll keep in touch. I'd have to tell my girlfriend that I'll be texting another girl. She might get upset. Oh, it's really awesome, and I encourage anybody to, to take a watch of the, the whole video, but in the end, they choose the beer, and the world gets smaller. They're bridging connections here. It's a brilliant piece of content, and it's a direct play into belief-driven buyers. It's a fantastic example, I have to say. And uh, I'll also say that you had me at beer, <laughs> which reminds me, it's time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have to put all of this belief-driven buyer context that you've created into motion and are we going to get to the recall of the month? We are. We are. Just prepare to be amazed. This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one, because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Welcome back to the second half of our March 2019 Recall of the Month podcast. As always, the recalling guru herself, my co-host Jenny Gregorsik, is in the studio with me, and I'm Jeff Hahn. Jenny, we talked in the first half about belief-driven buyers. You were trying to set the stage for your Recall of the Month, and I'm, I'm actually still waiting for you to get to the point. Uh, would you mind? <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Hold on to your apron. <laughs> Okay, look, I'm anxious. Recall of the month is exciting. It's a big deal. There's three people listening to this podcast right now, and, you know, they're ready. Wait a minute. We're up to three? Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, my mother dropped out. She just couldn't take it anymore, so we had to spend some marketing dollars to get a third person in. That's okay. My mom's still in. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Hey, would you tell her I said thanks? <laughs> All right, we're going to get here. We're gonna We're on the downward slope towards recall of the month. And I think you're going to do a big reveal, but I got to, I mean, I just got to prod you along here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. To the three of you listening, here it comes. I'll give it away faster this time. Okay. The FDA granted the impossible burger grass status in July, 2018, uh, generally recognized as safe. We've seen quite a few announcements from impossible foods about future partnerships, innovation. They're really moving in this space. But then, here's a twist. A California restaurant found a piece of plastic inside one of the brand's clean meat patties. Wah, wah, wah. Ooh, yeah. Yep. So the company issued a voluntary recall on, let me check my notes, March 22nd for some products that were manufactured in uh, back in February. So sorry to Impossible Foods, your aprons recall of the month. We need like a sound effect for th that <laughs> announcement. And we'll get our amazing producer, Russ. He'll try to whip one up for us. Hey, that was fast, Russ. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I don't know if our friends at Impossible are going are gonna to like it all that much. Well, it's a stumble, not a fall. This is a brand that's been on a meteoric ride lately. 
I think they're going to do just fine. I think you're absolutely right. That is a very safe bet. Um, you know, again, earlier we talked about uh, recalls in, in as part of bigger trends last month with delivery. This month, um, everything that's happening in the plant-based space is so huge. So, um, and lots of things happening at Impossible. You know, this recall actually came just on the heels of Impossible Foods rolling out their, um, what was it, a gluten-free Impossible oh, Burger 2.0. Yeah, but they, um, it wasn't typical, was it? It was... Uh, no, they did it in a really interesting place. They did it at the, uh, at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in a Vegas. Tech show. It's a tech show. Yeah. Interesting to see a food brand show up that way at a, at a tech show. Uh, they also talked about retail sales, a plant-based steak. Uh, so they have, they have a lot of things in the works. And, you know, with all this discussion about lab-grown products, I think the industry um, of these lab-grown products is really facing um, a look at what's regulatory oversight going to be, how do consumers perceive this type of food from a food safety perspective, um, the risk of increased recalls to that consumer perception. So, you know, with, with anything new, but especially one where we've got an industry of, of food and tech colliding in a way that we've never seen before. It's it's kind of the wild, wild west a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think I'm, I'm seeing the pattern here, or at least connecting the dots. First half of our show today, you talked about belief-driven buyers. And here now we have a category of food, the plant-based phenomena, Beyond Meats in that category, um, Good Catch, the tuna mm-hmm. substitute. By the way, that good catch, I had it the other day on a salad, and it was actually terrific. I was um, surprised by how good it was. And uh, But it's, again, one of those examples of how I might identify as a consumer. These are the kinds of products, as a belief-driven buyer, if I'm, a, uh, uh, if I'm not a meat eater, I would put into my ecosystem. They're, they're sort of the equivalents of REI or Patagonia. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we know belief-driven buyers are a thing. We talked about that that data. Um, but what's more personal to consumers than the food that we consume? We spend a lot of time and energy thinking about and planning for and talking about the food that we consume. And these plant-based foods are getting a lot closer to mainstream consumers. You know, in fact, um, the Plant-Based Foods Association recently just announced that retail sales of plant-based meat products we're up 24% wow. last year. You That's huge year-over-year growth. I should have told you, I forgot to tell you, I was in Miami Beach for a conference, and I had some impossible nachos there. Oh. It's showing up everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're showing up in a lot of places. Del Taco is actually doing a test um, of uh, uh, Beyond Meat tacos that they just announced. I think they're 12 days, 12 days in is what I read this morning. Oh, okay, so, interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Impossible Foods, you know, gosh, they've sold, what was the number I read recently? Something like 13 million burgers since 2016. Uh, they're really leading the way in terms of changing public perception. Um, so for those of you who aren't as familiar with with what the Impossible Burger is, it's a plant-based product. Um, it uses genetically engineered heme protein, um, it's called soy leg hemoglobin to um, really replicate the look of the taste and smell and look of of real meat. Mm-hmm. So um, they've gotten 
They've gotten pretty close. Um, I think we'll see over the next few years that they are going to really refine the both the taste and the pricing structure of it. But it's got it's got broad appeal. If you are a meat eater and uh, are trying to reduce your meat consumption, then swapping out a veggie burger or an Impossible Burger once a week that's a uh, that's, that feels like an easy consumer decision to make. Um, or if you've decided that you are going to be vegetarian or vegan because of animal welfare reasons or, envi- or environmental reasons or anything like that, uh, we, we hear that it's a great alternative to uh, something that people really miss once they, give up, once they give up meat. You know, I've actually been doing some tracking on Impossible Foods, and they're doing some really exciting stuff, even from a PR and marketing standpoint. As you mentioned, they debuted at uh, CES with their gluten-free products and the talking about a steak product coming up, but they've done all kinds of things. I've heard they're coming out in April uh, with Burger King and they'll be in limited markets around the country. The positioning at CES is complemented by other unique places that they've been. They've showed up at um, Wired, the Wired conference in 2018 and they were a featured food at uh, the World Economic Forum. They went to Davos, which is pretty amazing. I was looking at their earned media tracking, and um, over the last couple of years, they've, they've earned more than 1,300 articles, 1,334 articles. Really haven't put out that many press releases. They're just getting talked about, which is pretty amazing. And we talk about that effect that the press has when it comes to recalls. I have to say, for Impossible Foods, the negative impact of this particular recall and your selection of recall of the month seems to be pretty limited. Although, we have to wait because you are a very influential person. It may, it may <laughs> blow up on them. You know, I think this recall is, um, I think you may have said it earlier, it's a, a bump in the road for them. It's certainly not a, a fatal flaw. Uh, but it is a really fun excuse for us to get to talk about all the cool things that are that are happening in the plant-based space. And, you know, there is a ton of momentum behind Impossible Foods as a brand. I think they've got um, a couple other hurdles that are in front of them. You know, um, just this month, uh, the USDA announced a formal agreement to jointly oversee the production of – I want to make sure I get this right for my notes – to uh, – jointly oversee the production of human food products derived from the cells of livestock and poultry, including lab-grown meats. Are there, Do you think Impossible's getting put in that same category? It's not a cell-based meat product. It's plant-based. It is plant-based. So that puts it firmly in the FDA's jurisdiction, oh, not okay. USDA. Right, right. But concerns about this self-affirmation process uh, that have been used by companies like Impossible Foods to skirt some FDA regulations are really starting to pop up. And there's still a lot of questions out there about product labeling. How do we label these products? What's fair and what's right? Uh, and the FDA's response, I think, to these consumer safety advocates is going to really help us determine what we see in terms of these types and numbers of recalls going forward in this space. Yeah, and so labeling, ingredient labeling, will be really interesting uh, how the regulatory dimension plays on Impossible Foods. That's right. All right, well, I'll throw another wrench in, and that uh, takes us back to this specific recall of the month. How does a piece of plastic get into a, a clean meat patty? 
automation seems to be the place to point to. Impossible Foods got, um, has a pretty significant size production facility. You get a piece of plastic introduced in there, and you have to conclude that it came off of a piece of equipment. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think we're going to be less likely to see the typical meat-related recalls for these kinds of plant-based foods because they just don't have the same kind of um, makeup as a, as a meat product. But a lot of these producers are relying on machinery for automation. That is something that is similar. Um, and we see this automation across all of industry, uh, all the food industry, and foreign objects are are a huge issue. Um, I actually read a quote recently that um, uh, Tony Corbo, who's he's a senior lobbyist for Food and Water, was telling NBC that uh, he thinks recalls have ticked up partly because more food and meat plants is being prepared by machines with parts that can break off. So in one respect, it's kind of a consequence of progress, I guess. Right. And we've seen similar recalls at um, shaving, wood shavings, uh, metal shavings mm-hmm. are all part of this automation picture, which could be a, an interesting pattern as we move through time. All right, Jenny. Well, uh, you've put impossible foods in the headlock. You've drug them into the octagon and you've given them your recall of the month smackdown. Are you happy with yourself? <laughs> you know, I think it was a good recall of the month again, because it gave us a, a great reason to talk about all the cool things happening in the plant, the plant space. But I doubt we're going to see impossible foods back on this list anytime soon. I mean, they're a company that's doing just awesome things. Uh, So we'll probably have something pretty darn different for our next recall of the month. But, um, you know, I think I will just start taking a harder look at genetically modified ingredients in the months to come. Um, So I would expect to see that show up in our recall of the month going forward. Um, So don't be surprised if, if we do something on GMOs because of either a labeling recall or something springs up on the long-term effects of GMOs or an interesting study on consumer perceptions of GMOs, which is a long-standing communication challenge in the food industry. So interesting to see the interplay between uh, corporations and regulatory excuse me, regulators in, in this space. I think it's there's still a lot of wrinkles to be ironed out um, as we see this this plant-based industry really mushroom. No pun intended there. Oh, I saw what you did See there. what I did? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good, really. <laughs> All right, Jenny, uh, thanks very much for that. Chin up, Impossible Foods. You're riding a trend, and you're going to be great. I thought this was a terrific recall of the month, and I'm so happy that you were able to find a really cool trend to go with it. So thank you, Jenny. Right on, Jeff. Thank you so much. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News with Jenny Gregorsik and Jeff Hahn from Apron Food PR. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes. It really helps. It really helps.